Sports' Catholic Daily Brief. Episode 34, The Problem with Religious Experience. Religious experience in itself is not a problem. In fact, we know throughout the history of the church, the experience of the saints, the mystical experiences of the saints, the miracles that are experienced by many Christians throughout the history of the church, the consolations God gives by grace to the soul. All of those things are good, obviously, because they come from God. But to make religious experience, the internal experience of religion, the primary criterion for judging its truth presents a problem. And in our day and age where we've been formed to value individualism and experience and emotion above all things, it presents a particularly grave problem. Because we are inclined now in history more than ever to value our experience over objective truth, to value our experience over reality to take our experience as the only objective reality. You see this in the way people talk about my truth and your truth rather than the truth. In fact, the aversion to talking about the truth, the aversion to claiming that something might be true which goes against what you might hold internally. All of these things present a dangerous background to exalting religious experience above the other criteria of truth. One first problem we run into is that if personal experience is the standard for truth, we have to claim that all religions, all belief systems are equally true. You might have an internal conviction about what you believe, say that Christ is God and he died for your sins. You might feel that that is true, and indeed we believe it is based on evidence. But if your judgment is based on your feeling, then you can find people in every belief system and every religion that have equally firm internal conviction about what they believe. So who are you to say that your experience is valid and theirs isn't? This is a problem we run into. If we want to say that Christianity is true, but we base that only on our internal experience, then we really have no basis for saying Christianity is true, as opposed to, say, Islam, or Buddhism, or atheism. Because you can find many people in each of those groups that are just as certain as you that what they believe is true. Now, of course, our internal conviction is or should be based on objective reality. That's what this whole process of apologetics is about using external evidence and reason and observation to conclude that, yes, this is objectively true, and that is objectively false. So internal conviction is good, but only if it acts in concert with or is a consequence of external realities, be they historical evidence or the action of God's grace. So that's the first problem. With religious experience as your standard, all religions are true. In fact, all belief systems are true, whether they be religious or atheistic. And we've already said and shown that all religions can't be true. Either they're all false or one of them is true, because every single religion disagrees on some essential point with every other religion, so they can't all be true. And of course, religion and atheism can't be true at the same time either. So you run into an absurd conclusion if you base your judgment on experience alone. A second problem that a Christian runs into if they rely too heavily on experience at the expense of external realities is that they can't evangelize. Internal experience cannot be communicated to someone else. 
especially if you base the truth of what you believe on that experience. If you can't communicate that same fervor to someone else, then that person outright rejects the truth of what you're saying. If I say, you should believe in Christ because once you do, you will have this internal feeling of peace and joy. And let's say that person then desires to accept the truth of Christianity, but they feel no such thing. Then already they feel that what you're telling them is false. That's a real big problem with a lot of modern forms of Christianity that are based on stirring up the fervor, stirring up the affections and emotions, and basing faith on those feelings, which we all know are very fleeting. Even in moments of authentic fervor caused by grace, we know that they're fleeting. We have the testimony of the saints. So if your religious practice relies heavily on stirring up those emotions and focusing solely on the internal, then not only can it not be communicated to someone else, you can't evangelize, but also you yourself are on flimsy ground, on a shaky foundation, because all emotion is fleeting. If you recall in the episode about virtue, we talked about the hierarchy of our internal powers, with reason being the principle and highest and most noble, and it directs the will, which is underneath it. And then the affections and the or the appetites are underneath the will. And that the proper orientation is someone seeks the truth, and then when they perceive the truth as good, they desire it with their will. And when necessary, their appetites or their passions help stir the will to do what the will ought to do under the guidance of reason. So we never want our passions or our appetites directing us over our reason. But that's exactly what you have when you place religious experience or emotion as your principal guide in your life of faith. You've inverted how things are supposed to go. You say, I will follow my emotions and either ignore or even contradict what my reason is telling me. That you place your internal experience over your consideration of objective reality. We know that is a characteristic of the modern mind now, modern individualism, is that we don't accept objective reality as objective. We say, my emotions or my intuition is telling me that such and such is true. Even though there are plenty of arguments as to why that might not be true, I don't care about the arguments because I feel that this is true. That's a very dangerous way to live your life, especially when it comes to faith. You ignore evidence, you ignore your reason, and are directed by your emotions or your passions. Now, after saying all that, it might make it sound like the life of faith sounds pretty dry and boring and unemotional and stoic, but that's not the intention at all. All we're saying so far is that religious experience can be real and can play a part in the authentic practice of religion, but it ought not to be your standard. It ought not to be the touchstone of truth that you look to. The testimony of the saints shows us that the saints were very passionate in their practice of the faith, often very emotional as well. God can sometimes give us the grace of consolation or this internal feeling of God's presence, a very pleasant and peaceful feeling and certainty of God's presence, sometimes even moving the saints to tears. Perhaps you've had an experience of, of this, where your devotion and your fervor is really stirred and you're moved to tears by considering some truth of the faith or considering Christ dying for you. That absolutely has a place and it's very good. It can really help us, the graces of consolation. But the saints also told us that these are not long-lasting and they're also not the point. 
We do not believe in God in order that we might feel something, right? We believe, we serve, we love God because of who he is, because he's the supreme good. We serve him because he created us out of love and desires union with us. If we were to experience these graces of consolation constantly, then we would be believing in God for a self-serving reason, you know, this pleasant feeling of consolation. But it only takes a, a quick scanning of the Gospels to show that Christ's message is not one of giving us a pleasant life, in this life, that is. He says in this world we will have trouble, that the life of the Christian is taking up the cross and following him. It's not one of constant comfort and internal consolation. In fact, the, the lives of the saints are characterized more by something called desolation than it is by consolation. Desolation means this feeling of being apart from God or not seeing God in the darkness that we feel inside. A very recent example of this would be Mother Teresa. Her own words tell us that most of her life was characterized by desolation, sometimes even by doubt. So if we take all the words of Christ and the example of the saints, it shows us that the internal pleasure of the practice of faith is not and cannot be the point. Overwhelming joy and happiness is what awaits us in heaven. But our life here on earth is characterized more by desolation than it is by consolation. And that's why it's important to direct ourselves by means of our mind and our will more than our affections, because oftentimes our affections are not stirred. Our emotions are not stirred. We simply have to will to follow Christ, will to pick up our cross, will to believe those things that he told us, even when we don't have the support of our emotions or passions to help us. Christ told St. Paul that his grace is sufficient for him. His grace is sufficient for us. It requires cooperating with God's grace even when, or especially when, we don't feel the assistance of our emotions or our affections. It's a more valuable practice of your faith to persevere through moments of spiritual dryness or desolation merely by the force of your will assisted by God's grace. That merits us more than if we are following God because we feel particularly happy or devout today. In this realm, the teaching of St. Ignatius in his spiritual exercises has been considered particularly valuable by the church. Consider one of the rules, his seventh rule in his spiritual exercises. He says, quote, Let him who is in desolation consider how the Lord has left him in trial in his natural powers in order to resist the different agitations and temptations of the enemy, since he can with the divine help, which always remains to him, though he does not clearly perceive it, because the Lord has taken from him his great fervor, great love, and intense grace, leaving him, however, grace enough for eternal salvation." End quote. So St. Ignatius articulates the reasons why God leaves us in desolation most of the time. It strengthens our faith. It strengthens our will against temptations and the fleeting changes of our emotions, and that God never withdraws his grace. So the conclusion here is grace is not always perceptible. We shouldn't feel abandoned by God because we don't feel his presence. Now, of course, if we know we've gravely sinned, then we know that God's grace is not with us. But if we are practicing our faith and following Christ to the best of our ability and avoiding grave sin, but we still feel desolation and dryness, we shouldn't be concerned at all. Because God always gives us grace enough to resist temptation, always gives us grace enough in every moment to follow him and reject evil, even if we don't feel any particular difference internally. Now, I just mentioned the situation of cutting off the life of grace through grave sin, and this is actually a really good way to illustrate how unreliable our internal experience is because 
the person who is really stuck in grave sin is less likely to think he's not in the state of grace. What I mean by that is the saints who lived very holy lives, the closer they got to God, the more aware they were of even their smallest sins and imperfections. Whereas the one who has a lax conscience because he sins over and over again in grave ways has made his conscience so dull that he doesn't perceive internally the severing of his relationship with God. The greatest sinner usually has the most lax conscience, the least amount of awareness of his lack of union with God, whereas the holiest are most aware of even the smallest damages they inflict upon their relationship with God by small sins. So in this sense, relying on your internal experience is really dangerous because you might feel that you're still good with God even when you aren't. Your internal experience might tell you there's nothing to worry about in your relationship with God, whereas in fact there's serious reason for worrying if your conscience is not well formed. So the interesting conclusion is that your internal experience is valuable and trustworthy only to the extent that you are already living a holy life. The saints had a more authentic knowledge of self and a more authentic understanding of the state of their soul because they were closer to God, closer to the source of truth. They could see themselves for who they were and they could discern properly between misleading internal feelings or authentic internal feelings. They could better distinguish between movements of the emotions that were from the evil one or movements of the emotions that were from God. Whereas someone that is far from God, to the extent that they are far from God, they ought to, to the same extent, distrust their internal experience. I'll conclude with some words from St. Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa. Quote, We must have a real living determination to reach holiness. I will be a saint means I will despoil myself of all that is not God. I will strip my heart of all created things. I will live in poverty and detachment. I will renounce my will, my inclinations, my whims and fancies, and make myself a willing slave to the will of God. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. Please share this podcast with your friends and family. I really need more subscribers at patreon.com slash catholicdailybrief, so please consider that. Also, give us a five-star rating and a good review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. God bless. Thank you.